In partnership with Paizo, the No Direction Network welcomes you to our PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage. While you enjoy your PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar recordings, remember that these were recorded online and that some minor audio and connection issues are to be expected. Good afternoon and welcome to the Organized Play panel here at PaizoCon Online. My name is Tanya Woldridge. I am the Organized Play Manager. I'm Michael Sayre and I am the Pathfinder Society Developer. And I'm the Organized Play Lead Developer. And I am Thurston Hillman. I am the Starfinder Society Developer and lover of all things Alpaca-related alpacas! Not with us today are James Case, our Organized Play Developer, and Alex Spidell, our Organized Play Associate. Uh, we don't get to talk to them, but they are in our Discord, and you can chat with Alex and, and James there for any other questions you might want to put to them. So, Organized Play, our global living campaigns. Where are we at? We're on a lot of online play. Um, it's been an interesting six months with not having locations and friendly local gaming stores to play in. Uh, we've moved a lot of play online right now. Uh, right now, if you get done with uh, playing org play at PaisoCon Online and you still want to continue, which we'd love to have you keep joining us, you can head on over to pfschat.org and that will hook you into games being run pretty much 24-7, 365 through our online region. Speaking of regions, we are up to 17 that span the globe, and we've got volunteer coordinators uh, as part of the Organized Play Foundation in each of those regions that are here to help you get into organized play. Um... Let me let me just pull up. Let's 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 talk about some stuff that's coming up, shall we? Let's let's talk about let's talk about what we have in the who or in the hopper for Starfinder Society Year Three. Uh, let's talk about the Year of Exploration's Edge. Next slide. So first off, we have some super cool artwork that we have going on here. I'm going to put this alpaca down. She is surplus. Um, yeah, so the Year of Exploration's Edge is something that, uh, actually, uh, you can thank uh, Michael over there for the title as it came out of the meeting, and we were all like, that's really good. That's what, that fits exactly what we want, like, this season to be about. What is this season about? Well, it's all about getting back to some of the, the core fundamental roots of what it is to be a Starfighter, which is going out into that wide and expansive galaxy and exploring some stuff. Uh, so one of the things we've got a lot of really positive feedback uh, over the years for Starfinder Society is people really like those kind of planet of the week, exploring somewhere new, um, you know, not, maybe not as heavily tied into a meta plot story arc, though, you know, we have our players who love their meta plots. Don't worry, we have you covered too. But really, uh, there was there was there was a demand for people who just wanted a bit more uh, variety in terms of here, are like some standalone scenarios, great for introducing players, great for bringing people into due to losing internet across half the state of kentucky param was unable to stream and record a small portion of this panel i blame the gap or datch however the kd crew's technomancer powers were able to overcome the obstacle bringing you the rest of this op content we're gonna uh we're gonna we're gonna carry on right here and actually, actually uh, provide you the content of season uh, season three. Let's talk about the Year of Exploration Edge. So as you can see here, we have this lovely symbol of exploration. If I was cut off a little bit earlier, I apologize. Uh, essentially, we're really looking to focus this season on the idea of 
helping bring in new player to your local Starfinder society, as well as helping out GMs who maybe aren't part of organized play and can use some of these scenarios in their home campaign. Uh, Planet of the Week stuff is is actually really, really uh, useful in a lot of different ways uh, for campaigns, and so we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of. Them. But that doesn't mean that our our story arcs are because we really want to ensure that we we still cater to our players uh, and provide those those you know memorable storylines. So let's talk about how we're going to be handling story arc in. So what we have done is we have broken down our story arcs, three distinct stories. So you won't see that kind of overarching meta plot that we've done with other seasons, both on the the Pathfinder. Instead, what you're going to see are going to be three independent stories that are told three different uh, levels, essentially low, mid, high level. Um, and if we can uh, bring up the next slide here, uh, lovely, lovely background of pretty, pretty blue and and all sorts of strange, strange critters in the background, uh, which you may have heard of from uh, Diego Valdez earlier on the Secret Starfinder panel. Those are Kothamas. They're from Vesk uh, 7, Vesk 8, which means we're going to the Vescarium. Isn't that exciting? We've, we've kind of scratched at that area. Uh, we're, we're going there. Now that we have Starfinder near space out, we can finally explore this region that's pretty pivotal to our setting. And so with uh, with the first of our story arcs uh, entitled Frozen Ambitions, we're going to be going there with our low-level players and kind of getting getting a, a view of not only the Vescarium, but some different places in there. So we'll, we'll, we'll be sort of building up a story arc that, uh, that deals with the ambitions of one member of the Vescarium's sort of highest level. After that, we also um, we also have our our next uh, story arc, which is the vast experiment. We have this uh, we have this other book coming out, which is called the Starship Operations Manual. And we've had a lot of questions about how that's going to work into society play. So to answer those questions, uh, I'm just going to go out and say that, yes, we are going to work in. Yes, uh, squadron combat seems like something really cool for a group of Starfinders out there. I know there have been questions. But the the vast, uh, the vast experiment uh, story arc is going to take place, surprisingly enough, mostly in the vast, and is our way of doing a new type of starship focus. And this is going to be something a bit different than how we've handled starships in the past in Starfinder society, because we're really going to be focusing on letting the players kind of decide things about the starship and we sort of have an initial scenario that gets people into that story arc and doesn't have starship combat and from there we're going to be really going into you're going to build a starship and it's going to be cool and you're going to have more control than we've ever given out really really excited for the vast experiment and and that kind of brings us to to our third story our third story arc is meant to solve a lot of things that have been on my mind for a while they've been on the minds of many of our players out there uh I think the the best way to do this is to uh, pop to our next slide because there's one planet in the packed worlds, one planet in the packed worlds we haven't really explored. And um, on this on this next slide, you're gonna see a map here. Yeah, there it is of this one planet we have not gone to in the packs. This thing that may or may not be some kind of great old one egg, we don't know. Uh, but there's a lot of like creepy Lovecraftian Dominion of the Black sort of bad things going on on this planet. Planet. I mean, does that look like land masses or some kind of uh, some kind of undulating flesh mass? 
Who knows? It could be both. In fact, I think one of the seas is called the Undulating Sea. It's pretty cool. Um, so Octurne has been on our list uh, for a while, but it's also been an area that is incredibly difficult for us to explore in the campaign at anything but high levels. And now we're going to to have high level uh, a high level experience. We're going to finally get to go to Octurne, and this is going to be in our uh, high level story arc, Fleeting Truce, which also for those of you who are really invested in the Starfinder Society story arc and meta plot, this is going to follow up on some some lore that was seeded way early in Starfinder Society uh, on the library planet of Thaum, uh, potentially involving uh, a group of Hell Knights that had some sort of mysterious stuff going on and uh, maybe burned down a part of the library because they found something real, real bad or were looking for something real, real bad. Let's just say we're going to get like really deep uh, into that lore. I've just finished confirming with our creative director, Rob McCreary on the Starfinder side of how this is actually going to, to fit into the setting and how it will inform future things in the setting as well. This is going to be something that will not only be like have an impact for Starfinder society, but will carry on into the overall Starfinder. Really excited. It's a great way for us to do sort of those big story arcs as, as we're talking about. And that, each of these are going to be self so sort of to recap here, Frozen Ambitions is kind of our low level, primarily set near space, going to be a great introduction for new players, going to also just be something to let our experienced players explore near space. We then have the vast experiment. That's our mid-level. That's going to be kind of starship focused, going out into the vast, letting us finally do some customizations on starships that I know players have evolved. And then finally, we're going to be exploring some places in the pack world we haven't quite finished up and eventually reaching that lovely planet of Octurne in the, uh, the final final uh like story arc that we have planned which is the uh, uh fleeting truths which is our high level story so all really really exciting i see that tanya is being really tactical and posting some questions in the chat in the live doc we have um will this dovetail with the galaxy exploration manual that was recently announced the the the, uh, the lovely gem as we call it uh yeah yeah we're definitely going to be working in a lot of those elements one thing that i'm really excited about and as someone on the earth play team uh when we were working with the Starfinder team on, on like the idea of the, the galaxy exploration is that there's going to be a lot of new rules in that book that will also work really well for players who are building characters for any of these stories. So we're really dovetailing a lot of that back and forth. Um, so that that kind of takes us to the end of the, the story arcs and the year of exploration's edge and and all that side of things. Um, I want to I've got I've got a bit more to talk about. Don't worry, don't worry. We've, we've got some other really exciting pieces of news. Um, I think I think I want to quickly maybe pass it back to Tanya real quick uh, just before I can go on a whole bunch of talk about what we've got coming up in the guide in our scenario format. So yeah, uh, for those of you joining us and uh, aren't used to our rollout schedule, we will be rolling out the new season of Starfinder Society at Origins, June 19th. Uh, so just a couple of weeks away, uh, you can get in on year, what is year three? Though it's actually Starfinder Society's been going on a little bit longer because we had an extended first year as we rolled every so uh, we've actually been about three and a half years of society play for Starfinder. But uh, this will be year three, year of Exploration's Edge. Uh, at the time that we roll out a new season, we normally roll out a new guide. We also roll out a lot of program tweaks and, and uh, changes that we want to make. Uh, the team spends all year talking about what should we do to make better, listening to feedback, talking players, talking to our GMs, and then we kind of roll it all into one big update every time we make a shift. That way it's a little cleaner. 
get everyone on board at the same time and people know to expect it. So I'm going to go back to Thirsty with uh, what we're changing in Star Wars. There's some news there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's start with the, the big thing and the, the current thing that is on my work plate. The guide. How's the guide sound? Let's talk. Want to talk about the guide? Let's talk. All right. We have some changes coming up in this year of Starfinder Society, which I think everyone's going to be really excited for. And I know I am. I'm very excited uh, for some of them. First off, uh, as I mentioned, the guide is getting worked on right now. So there's still a bunch of changes that, that could be added in here. We're figuring out, you know, workload, all that fun stuff. But one of the things that is to answer a question in chat is uh, first our first seeker. So our first seeker is changing with uh, year three because we had a bit of a, a voting thing go on uh, last year where uh, several players managed to submit their characters for um, participation in this election. Eventually, we kind of weeded that down internally to to a few select, which then showed up in scenario 2-07 for, for the first. And then uh, we got some results from some voting and it was decided that our new uh, first seeker, first seeker Ehu Hadif, uh, will be kind of leading the society into the future. So what that means for the guide is that there's going to be a new faction. Uh, for the, the second seekers will get a new first seeker uh, option available. And this this new first seeker is going to have some some interesting options, but one of the things that we've really got a lot of feedback about. There's a certain there's a certain reason a lot of people really really like first seeker Jednura. I don't think it's because Jednura led the Starfinders into the Scoured Stars and kind of messed everything up. Actually, I think a lot of people really like First Seeker Jednura because he has this uh, this boon that allows you to get replays. So we thought, hey, Ehu Hadif kind of has the same thing. So maybe we should let Ehu Hadif also give you some some free replays for your character. Well, not free, but some some purchasable replays for your characters. So uh, that that boon will be carrying forward to Ehu Hadif. So for those of you who are worried about, all oh, my characters have to be Jednura so I can replay play stuff um don't don't worry too much about that we've got you covered also before any of you really smart and clever players out there get an idea no these two boons do not stack you can't be jed nora and ehu hadith and get all the replays i see you out there um so yeah so that's really exciting and i'm, I'm really glad for uh for introducing ehu and going into some background um, one other thing that kind of touches on the second Seekers faction that we're doing is we've had a lot of positive feedback on the, hey, I really like the election uh, idea and being able to submit my NPC or my PC for, for all this, you know, elevation to special roles. But I was a data file and you're a meanie. So that that whole boon is actually going to be switched over to an all factions boon so that people who hit that maximum reputation with their faction are going to still be able to submit stuff to us. And we've we'd announced this previously, but I just want to reiterate it here because it's going to be in the guide super super cool well that that covers a lot of the uh the initial stuff on the guide i guess i guess there's one more kind of minor thing maybe i i don't know if anyone's gonna be interested tanya said i should probably announce it here so i mean i guess i could um we've had a lot of questions about like oh there's all these different species available in starfinder they're so cool and great but uh they kind of rotate out based off these mega region boons because that's how we've sort of been been doling out some of these different species to everyone. And um, one question we've had is now that we're on like Alien Archive 3, 
fun question we've had is, well, what about Alien Archive 1 species out there? In fact, a lot of Alien Archive 1 sure seems to be, you know, pretty packed world's important species. Yeah, you're kind of right on that. And so what we've decided to do is in this guide, we will be making a list of uh, what will essentially be uh, always available species. And we'll be updating the additional resources to note that. But we will be taking a big chunk of those Alien Archive 1 species and go, you can always play them. That way you can make new characters for the year of exploration's edge it's like we have a plan we swear uh so yeah that really uh that really covers the guide side of things um and i'm gonna i'm gonna take a break because i have like <gasps> for a while here of all sorts of starfinder stuff as you can tell i'm super excited about starfinder side where it goes i do have more to talk about but i'm gonna step back a bit let you read this lovely whiteboard of mine that's totally not trolling the fan base and pass it back to time so we do have one question I want to make sure we cover in your section, Thirsty, before we move over. And that is, Rob teased a new class playtest soon. Well, I realize you can't say much about it, but will there be plans to fold that into Starfinder Society? Yeah, yeah. I think it's safe to say that that uh, this will be one of the the more interesting uh, playtests we've we've done. And I think some of the, the people working on it means it'll be really good for, for an org play perspective. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Expect All more right. later. So pivoting, uh, Starfinder Society is one of our three main programs. Let's talk to Mike Sayre with Pathfinder Society. Hey, so I'm Mike Sayre, the Pathfinder Society developer. Um, and I'm going to trust very much in my team here because I cannot see the slide that's going up. But I think we're going to have a large insect, which is the, some of you might recognize as the Thorned Monarch, who has been a major part of the Season 1 meta plot and will appear in future adventures. Um, but before I go into that, I'm going to focus more on what is to come for the new year. So our second year is going to be the Year of Corruption's Reach. And this is going to take place a lot in... Iabaria, which is way up on the northeastern corner of the inner sea there. Uh, we've got some uh, some pretty cool art that I think uh, you should be hopefully seeing right about now, and you may see some familiar characters in there. And if they look familiar to you, it's because we have been building towards uh, this particular story for about three years now. The very first little pieces of this story came into play in season nine, and we introduced you to some characters like Dolok Darkfur, the big feathered bear, uh, and uh, he's an Eidolon. Uh, used to be the companion of a summoner from Pathfinder First Edition, and we don't seem to have those back in this edition yet, but hopefully the story can continue without that class being currently present. I certainly think it can. So these characters and this place, Eobaria. Eobaria is a cool playground that I thought would be an awesome location for Pathfinder Society to go and kind of cut loose and do whatever we want, right? For the past however many years, it's always been, here are some big adventure paths, here's Wrath of the Righteous, and so you're going to see a lot of demon-y stuff and a lot of playing in the Sarkoris, well, the World Wound at the time, in Pathfinder Society. This time around, we thought, you know... 
we're going to support the books that are coming out. We're going to tell stories that can take you to Absalom and these other places that uh, we have seen before. But we're also going to go somewhere that we haven't spent a lot of time, that the other people in the company aren't going to be doing in, and where the society is really going to be the shaping force. Now, here's the thing. Iabaria has a, a few elements to it that we were really excited to play with. It has large, super flammable forests, which we've set on fire a couple times. It has lots of Russian-inspired fae, which is pretty interesting. It has tons of dragons, and it's hard to go wrong with dragons. The other thing that Iabaria is very well known for in our setting is plagues and diseases. I planned this season about a year ago when going into some place that was covered in plagues and uh, dealing with a super infectious disease that might spread across the inner sea seemed like a really cool story to tell. It turns out that about two, maybe three months ago, suddenly that didn't seem like such a great story to tell. But I had already started uh, putting out uh, some of these adventures. Give me just a moment here as I confer and see whether or not anyone is even hearing my voice, because that would be great information to have, right? <laughs> um, so as, uh, as we power on through these technical difficulties, I will just continue um, my story about much broader and IRL technical difficulties. We had planned a huge season around this massive plague spreading through the Pathfinder Society and all of Eobaria. And we were going to use the final element of Eobaria, Cyclops Ruins, to uh, really kind of showcase this plague and give us a cool kind of driving force and unique creature type that we could show many, many different versions of, right? And we're still going to do a lot of that. But... With the current world situation, doing a story about a society affecting worldwide or at least region-wide plague seemed like a really bad idea. So the original demon lord I picked, which I'm not going to tell you, has now been replaced by a different demon lord, which I'm also not going to tell you. But this one is focused a little bit more on fire. And that's going to play with some things you might have seen if you've been playing the current season. The Blooming Catastrophe uh, might have laid a few little clues about some of the elements we're going to play with. Uh, if you have seen Scourge of the Far Heavens or Breath of the Dragon Skull in Seasons 9 and 10, those also laid some clues about where we are going. The good news is, if you haven't played any of those adventures, you don't need to, because we're going to lay it all out for you in the story for the season. So you'll have some really fun touch points if you've been here before, and you're going to have some cool new stuff that is going to be really recognizable and really iconic, even if you haven't. Another thing that we're doing, and this is kind of an inspiration coming from the Starfinder side, as Thirsty was moving towards these multiple metaplots at different level ranges, is we're going to have a little bit of a B-plot in the story here. The 201 uh, Citadel of Corruption is going to be the first adventure that we put out, and it's going to end with a really big event. Um, I'm not going to ruin that too much, but I will say it ends with somebody holding a helmet, wondering where the person that used to be wearing that helmet has gotten off to. Uh, so we're going to have 
all of this fun exploring Yabaria, checking out Cyclops ruins, trying to prevent the world from being set on fire going on in one end of the world. And then way over in Absalom, we're going to be trying to figure out uh, who the person that used to be in that helmet was and where they are now. And uh, so this is going to give us kind of two different little minor stories that we can touch on and, and, and get into. You won't need to follow all of them to have a good time and follow the story, but you will have some really fun touch points and you might learn a little bit more about some characters who have been part of the society for a long time and have been maybe a little one-dimensional uh, up until now, but we're going to crack open those backstories and look at a lot of the little clues that we've been laying for a long time in this ongoing story. Um, we're also going to be visiting some people from Lost Omens Legends, which you may or may not have heard Luis talk about uh, by this point, uh, or Eleanor, uh, as I believe their panel preceded ours or happened yesterday. Um, but we got to work really closely with them on that book and made sure that there are lots of cool, interesting characters with story hooks that we might pick up one or two of uh, in Pathfinder Society. Uh, and that's not the only Lost Omens book that we're going to be doing cool stuff with. There's also the Lost Omens Pathfinder Society Guide, which, as you might guess, is going to have a lot of information about the Pathfinder Society. And if we're going to be laying all of that information about the Pathfinder Society out, it sure does make sense to use it, right? Um, so definitely go pick up that book. It might give you some hints about what is to come, uh, what directions we're going in with things, who you might expect to encounter as we go into year two and beyond. Uh, and also it's got some really cool mechanics, uh, if I do say so myself, uh, so that uh, when, you, uh, when you get in there and you pick up that book, you're going to be able to immediately take some of these mechanical elements that work into the flavor of your character and allow you to do some cool stuff directly tied to the Pathfinder Society. And that includes kind of some neat feats that you're going to learn specifically from the deans of the Pathfinder Society schools. So we're looking at a really exciting big adventure with characters new and old uh, that is going to feed into our main product lines and really stretch out across the course of this season. This is going to be a really fun time to be in the Pathfinder Society. Um, I feel like I feel like I did you a disservice by implying that there have been two demon lords in play and not giving you any clues about either of them. So the one that we went with likes trolls. And that, well, very much doesn't like trolls. And now I've given you two clues, and that's all you're going to get. <laughs> if we were having uh, trivia this year, that would definitely be a question for us to say, uh, which lord you picked? Uh, we'll have to keep it for John for next year. Yes, very much. Well, I think it'll be well spoiled by next year, but we can we can do this for a while. Which demon lord currently hates the Pathfinder Society is a game that we can probably play for a really long time. <laughs> Pathfinders like to make demon lords really angry, it turns out. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, we've got Year of Reach. Yep. And uh, it, it's kind of taking place in the, the northeast of uh, our Avastan. But we've got one more, some players on the board here. And that would be our Adventure Card Society. And that's going to be Linda giving us all of those tricks and spoilers. That. I want to check real quick if people had a chance to see the uh, the new logo for the year of Corruption's Reach um, on the slide right after the bear. Mm -hmm. 
ink the blog awesome. all of this art because our streams are still kind of uh voice only uh unfortunately we're just going to tease you a little bit more that there's some really cool art pieces to go with each of these Ooh, it came out yay like we have video back so uh there is our season symbol for year of corruption's grasp slide as uh mike was talking about the pathfinder society pathfinder society guide we have a little bit of preview art uh for what one of our characters looks like years after he was uh, originally depicted. So for those of you that don't know, Mike, do you want to tell us who that is? Uh, that's a really great question that you've just thrown at me and my inability to see the screen and the shuffling of the slides has me forgetting exactly who it is. It would be Mo of the Society. Oh, is this uh, a Amber good friend, Amber Svelson, who who has featured... This is. Several ways in our uh, new short story related blogs, uh, both. And Dutch did it again. I think I'd like to start off with a bit of a recap of what we've been doing in the year of Rotting Ruin and how that's going to last little bit is going to play out. The year of Rotting Ruin is um, an adventure in that starts off in the blighted Gravelands and heads over to Ustalov. Um, it really picked up. Um, from the this wonderful seed left in Tyrant's Grasp, where the PCs of that AP head over to a faraway place all of a sudden, and there's just sort of this throwaway line of, meanwhile, the Pathfinder Society did something heroic here. So that was the, the jumping off point that we used. And uh, as we're looking into what we have at the end of this season, um, we have the Red Mantis coming back in our last part, uh, Death's Vengeance. Um, the PCs are going to get to decide what they want to do about these, about these rather dangerous folks, whether they want to strike up an alliance with them for mutual gain or whether they want to show the Red Mantis exactly what they think of assassins lurking in the shadows. And speaking as well of villains that continue to come back, if you've been playing through a year of rotting ruin, you may be familiar with a certain NPC whose face is rather punchable by this point. In Death's Vengeance, you will get the chance to decide just how thoroughly you want to destroy this villain. Do you want to normally destroy them? Or do you want to play the special optional hard adventure at the end to wipe them completely out of existence? We have So that's what we have coming up um, for the Year of Riding Ruin. Um, the Year of Riding Ruin, it was really a year uh, that was focused a lot around giving you more options of ways to play. And I know this came out a little while ago, but in case you haven't seen it yet, uh, one of uh, the core set and Curse of the Crimson Throne set are sanctioned for play, for credit. And part of the core set is uh, Dragon's Demand Adventure 3C, which is an all-levels build-your-own-adventure infinitely replayable with the same character adventure. So if you're looking for a unlimited well of Card Society adventure, I highly recommend checking that out. We also had the recent release of uh, Night at Bloodthorn Manor, an adventure written for levels 1 through 4 that is a standalone and a super flex. So that's what we had for the Year of Rotting Ruin. Uh, we've got our special Tyrant of the Harrow, which is premiering here at PaizoCon. And Tyrant of the Harrow really came from looking at what we've done with interactive specials in the past. And uh, folks were asking, hey, you know, is there going to be another 
interactive special for RPGs that also has a card game component. But what we were thinking about is, hey, you know, these specials that have this add-on card game component that's optional, because it's optional, it never really got the chance to be central to this. It never really got the chance to use mechanics that were specifically for the card game, where things that you do as your characters in the card game can make effects that are very specific to uh, to the card game, can change the scenario that people are specifically playing. So I'm really excited to see uh, Tyrant of the Harrow premiering here and see how those interactive effects work. Um, Tyrant of the Harrow uh, pulls from the Harrow card theming that is already strong in the Curse of the Crimson Throne box. And it also is, in a way, uh, a sequel to the popular module, The Harrowing. Uh, going back into the Harrowed Realm demiplane. And uh, because the the heroes of the Harrowing didn't completely fix all the problems that were there. Uh, when you have a when you have a demiplane that can continue to reform itself based on the very essence of stories, um, then you can certainly see some of those sorts of threats and villains coming back in a bit of a different way. So it's a bit of a different spin on that story. Um, you certainly don't have to have played the harrowing module to enjoy it, but if you have, then you may recognize some recurring villains. So we have the, uh, so that's the, we have the slide for the cards? Yes. All right. Can I get the next slide, please, for our next season? So uh, the next season here is going to be the Year of Reborn Strife. So the Year of Reborn Strife is going to be using the core and curse boxes again, uh, which means that we're going to have a lot of cool undead cards to work with. But it's also going to uh, to keep things fresh. There's also going to be a bunch more proxy cards this season to give us a lot of flexibility in what kinds of stories we can tell. Uh, this adventure is going to be taking us to Karamaga, the city of strangers, a dangerous place that attracts wanderers from all over Mauricia and beyond. Uh, where you might see constructs walking the street alongside troll augers. And um, one of the things that uh, really kind of caught my attention about this place is the idea that you have these undead who are just walking the streets. These people who think, ah, yes, I have a control amulet. Surely I can have a zombie hoist my palanquin or pull my zombie-drawn chariot and nothing wrong would, would ever happen to that. Um, well, uh... Yeah, they were wrong about that, because um, as this adventure kicks off, uh, the PCs are coming into Karamaga, and these amulets are very much on the, on the fritz, leading to uh, zombie rapid zombie attacks throughout the streets. Um, so that gives us the first adventure of this series, called Attack of the Twiceborn. After the Karamagan name Twiceborn, the polite way of referring to your undead companion streets. So these adventures are going to be visiting uh, the Troll Augurs, the Dust Wardens, and a variety of other famous and colorful factions from Karamaga. Uh, they're also going to take the PCs to some of the mysterious vaults beneath the city, where they're going to be allowed to explore places that no one has been in thousands of years. Based on, so we have, um, we do have the symbol for this season. So if we can get onto that next slide as well. Uh, I believe uh, that's the Karamagat Undercity. 
uh, it's where you can see some of the many vaults beneath. And I'm not going to say exactly which one we're going to be going into necessarily, but um, if you look at the names there, there, there's some that seem like they might be a little more likely to be afflicted by a problem of undeath others. Uh, and if we go to our next slide, uh, the Year of Reborn Strife, we've got our logo right there. Um, that logo represents one of those death's head talismans, the amulets for controlling undead. And you can see that this one is gradually burning out and going on the fritz. So the uh, so the PCs are going to be at the very heart of resolving that issue and figuring out who is behind the who is behind this uh, fail this catastrophic failure of undead controlling talismans. Is it another? Is it a rival necromancer? Is it sabotage? Uh, or is it something more sinister? So as for so this is going to be releasing uh, a three adventure arc, releasing every other month, August, October, and December. We're not quite ready to talk about our plans from for 2011 yet. But what I will say is that we have ideas that are based off of the big discoveries that the PCs make at the end of Adventure 3 here. And that is, I believe, time to pass it back over to Tanya. All right. So this year, we kind of sat down and we did this all group backfallish and started talking about some of the things we wanted to do. We had had a shakeup in who was part of the organized play team and uh, wanted to, to discuss some of our findings now that we had launched uh, second edition Pathfinder and where we wanted to go. And one of the things that we heard a lot was we like organized play, but there's a lot to get into. There's a lot of things that I need to re remember to the organized play environment. And some of those, you know, we started weeding out what can we change? What can't we change? What's part of the program that we feel really integral to it? And uh, we came up with a list of things a little bit more and we're still poking at them. And I think we will never stop poking at them because that's the nature of our team. And what we want to do is really deliver a quality program that is what our players want to play. Um, but we did come up with a couple key things that we could do to simplify and streamline and get people involved. And so I'm going to toss it back to Mike because one of the thing is brainchild and kind of he, he started saying I want to do this and it took us the rest of us a couple of months to get to yeah let's do this but uh it's his baby and so it's his his to spoil yeah she says a couple months I've been gunning for this for like a year and a half it just <laughs> it just just took the engine a long time to turn over um but this is this is actually something where people have already started to see this change during year one of the Pathfinder Society second edition campaign, in that we went from having quest packs of four quests together to having a monthly quest that dropped alongside our scenarios. And for those of you who maybe don't know, a quest is a one-hour adventure. It's a lot uh, simpler, designed to be something kind of fast and jump into and be really easy to, to play and have a fun experience and then continue on with your evening. Uh, now, there were some things that we ran into with the quests. Uh, we noticed that despite our best efforts, some of them were running kind of long. And a lot of times that had to do with the fact that the adventures that we make all take place within the framework of the Pathfinder Society. And that means there's got to be a venture captain who gives you your mission. Then uh, you've got to kind of know, why does the Pathfinder Society care about this? And these are all great things that lead to really robust stories, but they can also become barriers for new players to jump into, or that GM at a game store who gets a packet thrown at them by the game store owner and is like, go oh, play Pathfinder with people. 
So we've got this new product that uh, we are calling Pathfinder Bounty. And these are going to take the place of the quests. They're going to come out at the same rate, one a month. Uh, I believe the first one is going to be dropping in August. Uh, and these bounties are going to be one-hour adventures that, from the Pathfinder Society perspective, these are the things Pathfinders do when they're not on missions for the Society. When Ambrose Valson has nothing for them, but they've still got that wanderlust, they still want to go push the edge of the map back, they still want to go make that bag of gold, whatever it is that they want to do. So these bounties are going to be real accessible adventures that anybody can jump into. They're going to have a real light uh, touch on the org play side, just the bare minimum that you kind of need to be able to work them into your campaign and support your character. And the missions are going to be things that are designed to be fun, easy to understand, fast to get into and play, and something that even maybe a game store owner who really wants to have Pathfinder games going but doesn't know our world and doesn't know our setting very well can quickly grasp and run for the players at their location. Um, and, and it's going to be fun stuff, right? Like, the first two are going to be a dragon hunt and uh, going and working for a grooming farmer whose herd of prized alpacas are being preyed upon by some sort of horrible blood-sucking predator. So, yeah, be ready for that. Uh, join Thirsty and his legions in defending the alpacas from uh, the evils that would prey upon them. And uh, get ready to have a lot of fun, fast adventures that anybody can jump into and discover the game. These bounties are all going to be repeatable, every single one of them. They are going to be single level, and this, uh, this first year for them, that's going to mean level one adventures. It means we're going to have 12 level one, fully repeatable adventures, each of which can serve as a fun and unique starting point to get you into the Pathfinder second edition role-playing game. We have a question I just want to chat. point out that Mike trolled me on that hard, by the way. He, he was like, hey, Thirsty, wouldn't it be cool if we had this cool little bounty thing? And the first one was about an alpaca herd being threatened by some kind of evil thing. And then I had to write it, of course. <laughs> we don't troll each other in the team. Never. Um, but there is a question from chat. Are bounties replacing quests completely or will quests continue to be released as well? At this moment in time, bounties are completely replacing the quests uh, because, frankly, our team only has so much bandwidth and we're already cranking out five adventures a month, I think. Uh, so, uh, so for the time being, bounties will be replacing the quests. They will be filling that, uh, that niche. And uh, we said it earlier, but we'll repeat it. For the first year, they're going to be level one only. Uh, we will keep looking at what uh, the program needs and then consider if we need to opt in some other levels there. But it will be level one Pathfinder Society adjacent adventures. Uh, another thing we're changing is boons. All that paper, uh, we went and moved it into achievement points and online. I've been working with the tech team really hard these last couple of weeks to push it through the last few hoops to get them on uh, active and going. And I think a lot of you've seen your points kind of level out a little bit. We did find one uh, bump 
with the quests, they are awarding scenario values. So that is where you might see a little bit of a discrepancy. We know it's there. We're trying to write the last little bit of code to get that uh, smoothed out. And once that's smoothed out, everything else is ready to flip the on switch. So uh, we've got Leshy's primed. We've got Iruxi primed. We've even got Hobgoblins primed and ready for you to have. Uh, so we just need to... Uh, get those quest numbers figured out a little bit. Or if we can't, uh, let you guys all know that we're going to flip the on switch and we might have to do some back-end adjustments when we can finally get that to uh, wiggle out. So uh, we're there. Hold on. I can see the finish line and I'm running with the torch. So uh, thank you to the, our tech team for, for coming in. Eric, Keith, and uh, Robert Brandenburg have really been the two helping me on this one to get us through there. But uh, we think it will be smoother. But what do now that we have this achievement point system and we're getting rid of the paper? So what does that mean for boons going forward? Thirsty, why don't you take us away with Starfinder side and then we'll get Mike's take on the Pathfinder side. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that I'm really excited for about what's happening with Starfinder Society in year three going onwards, we're making some overall scenario adjustments. And we're kind. Of, you'll you'll see this already if you go to the product pages for the uh, the first two scenarios for uh, year three, which are already up. Uh, those product pages also include uh, new formatting that really matches our uh, our adventure patterns. How does this relate to boons? Well, there's there's a bunch of changes that are going to be happening with how we're structuring adventures going forward. So as I mentioned, we're going to have that new cover. Uh, one thing we've seen a lot of from Starfinder or sorry, with Pathfinder 2nd Edition, uh, is appendices and how people seem to like having all their stat blocks in nice, neat appendices. So we will be doing a very similar thing in Starfinder where we will be taking stat blocks and moving all of those over to appendices in the backs. Um, one for each level range of the adventure. You'll note I say level range and not sub-tier or tier because those terms are gone and we are getting rid of tiers and sub-tiers and we are replacing them with levels because everyone understands levels. And uh, you'll see a lot of verbiage that will be like levels one to four. And then in that adventure, we will, you know, do our usual adjustments, but they may have, you know, a parenthetical that reads something like, in levels three to four, increase the DC, blah, blah. So we're, we're trying to make this all really approachable for people who don't necessarily need to learn all of our organized play lingo that has been built up over many years. We're trying to simplify things. Um, and, and along with that, you know, we'll have these appendices for stat block There'll also be art appendices. There'll also be uh, custom maps, which I believe, uh, and Tanya will, will nod or shake her head. I think it's not. But I believe our plan now is, is all the custom maps, rather than being on a page in the back, we're actually going to be packaging those files in the, uh, in, in the file package when you get them as separate files so that GMs can do exactly what they need to with those files and just have those image files ready and raring to go. Um, this also includes some other like uh, clean up around, like you'll see the reward section is now removed from like inline sections and placed in the back. Whole whole lot of just simplifications overall. One of that big things that really gets simplified with the uh, the new change is going to be simplified chronicle sheets. And uh, what you will note is we're going to be reducing the amount of treasure on Starfinder Society chronicle sheets. We're going to be taking that down so that there's less use useless items on them and more just things people care about. Hooray. Um, we will also be taking a cue from Pathfinder 2nd Edition. We will be removing uh, we'll be removing the summary, or sorry, adding the adventure summaries, I should say. Uh, so you'll get a lovely summary of what happened in the adventure. And that will help you as you're going through like, what happened in my second adventure I ever played on my 
self-level character. Oh, now there's a little paragraph that tells you. And maybe even has a few check marks for all those cool little things you decided to do in that adventure. Uh, this comes, however, with one big change, uh, which is Boons. And we've we've definitely uh, enjoyed Boons. We've seen how it's worked out. But you'll start noticing in season three that none of the scenarios will have boons on the critical sheets. Um, in fact, our plan is going to be to gradually phase out boons as the campaign progresses so that by year four, we will be hopefully onto the ACP system once that's all, uh, all established for Pathfinder. Uh, but overall our, our, Step forward is to remove boons. A lot of the time, and I've been asked this a lot, is, you know, do you have plans anytime you put a XYZ will remember this boon on a chronicle sheet? Well, yes, we, we, we do, or sometimes we're kind of casting a net. But in my opinion, a lot of that can be replaced by, did you play this scenario? Oh, do we have an adventure summary that has a little checkbox on what you did? Cool, we can go off of that, rather than needing to, like, have a specific boon for that. As well as, like, creating some of the... Uh, some of the like intricacies of what like rules are on specific boons that takes a lot of cognitive load off us and lets us make them more widely available and also lets us do some fun things with like the ACP system of did you play XYZ scenario cool that play may end up enabling you access to a special boon that we put onto the ACP system and things like that as, as we're looking forward uh, I'm seeing some questions already on like what's going to happen to old boons we're not going to get into all the specifics on that right now but suffice to say it's kind of the direction we are we are going to so yes boons will still be slottable in season three uh we'll have more more news on on how they'll develop uh as we get closer to um going back a couple of questions that uh, just to catch up and, and go before we pivot into mike and his statement on boons are there plans for uh adjusting starfinder systems not at this time. One of the things you'll see uh, in a lot of these discussions is we try something in one program, and then if it works well, we bounce program and vice versa. So we're bouncing some of the, the Pathfinder Society formatting changes that we've made into Starfinder. For uh, the quests and the bounties, we're going to try those in Pathfinder Society first. If they work, then we can talk about bouncing them over. But that's yet another thing that would be another product, and we're not quite ready to just jump into the cold water, uh, all of us together at the same time. We're going to make Mike dip his toes in first to make sure everything's stable and that we're not putting too much on the other editorial departments, because anything that affects us also affects editors, it affects artists, it affects layout, it affects uh, the creative directors reading through more things. So it's not just our team that has to deal with these, it's a wider company discussion. Uh, so there we go. Uh, and yes, bounties will count for a Pathfinder Society credit. There is a section in the back on what that will give you um, and we will have more information as we get closer. Uh, we are still in the layout and final wrap up of these. So, uh, Thirsty, you have one question here that I actually don't know the answer to. Will this new format be available for threefold book 5-6 Devastation Arc? You're muted. Uh, we cannot hear you. I can press buttons, I swear. Um, our plans for Adventure Paths are going to be to be looked at and how we how we do sanctioning and how how those sort of will work in the future they're still going to grant credits we've just got to do some review on how we want those to work going forward because yeah um if if we aren't doing boons for everything we're going to obviously have to review how that'll work for our adventure paths we'll have more more news on that in the future as we get closer to those being sanctioned i suspect for threefold conspiracy since we did kind of a half and half we'll finish that with boons and then kind of look going forward how we want to handle thank you. Okay, so back to Mike and some of the changes we're putting through Pathfinder Society this year as we run up to our new release in August. 
so I don't have a, a ton to add other than to say that a lot of the things Thirsty talked about, you're going to see us mirroring in our program as well. Uh, you probably, if you've been following it, already noticed that we've been trying to kind of clear some of that clutter out of the Chronicle sheets, put fewer items on there that uh, are things you could have gotten already, and just really focus on fun new things that the adventure gave you access to. Uh, and we are also going to be uh, mirroring Starfinder Society in this instance, in that we are moving away, or I guess Starfinder mirrored us. However you want to look at it, the point is we are also moving away from boons on Chronicle Sheets and focusing more on those um, particular widgets and options uh, coming in through the ACP system, which uh, I believe I just heard Tanya say is really, really close to rolling out as we figure out a final uh, toggle on there. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that and uh, having that tool be in everybody's hands um, to just elaborate slightly on the uh, Will Bounties count for PFS Society credit. There are one or two minor things that we are still hammering out as we lock these into place, but they're essentially going to be the same value as far as your character progression as a quest is. The, that, that basic kind of component of it probably isn't going to change really significantly uh, because it's still a one-hour adventure, right? And the, uh, the rewards model for a quest was based on the idea that they take about an hour. So barring some really significant an unexpected change i i wouldn't worry too much about ending up with less as a society player because of this change from quests to bounties um acp as uh, as we noted we've already got leshies hobgoblins and aruxi queued up that will not be the end of it there's going to be fun new stuff coming uh, as soon as that gets rolling, that will determine all the future timelines connected to it, because we want to give uh, each thing some time to shine in that spotlight and, um, and you know, and really take over. And, and other than that, uh, Thirsty really kind of covered everything just to say that, yep, we are on those particular items related to Chronicle Sheets and formatting. Our two programs are going to continue to be heading in the same direction. Uh, one of us might be taking the first step on any given change just to make sure it's a step in the right direction but we really want this to be a program where if you've played starfinder society you know what you're getting into when you come over to pathfinder society you know how to read the sheet you know how to apply your awards and vice versa and uh, i think that's really the biggest step we've been taking as a team is moving towards a unified super accessible program that doesn't have as many variable parts depending on which element of the program you're interacting with. So we have a question from chat. Uh, will we chronicle sheets with the new revision? That is currently not something that we have on the list um, because we would need to find a space to put that. Uh, but I don't know. I'm not going to say we won't ever do that either. Uh, it is not, uh, it's not something that I personally have put a lot of thought into. So not yet is my final answer. <laughs> uh, another question from chat. Will maps be packaged separately for PFS2? This is actually part of a larger conversation we're having with our director of brand strategy, as we've had to move so much online so quickly support GMs in getting the table various virtual tabletops and in uh, supporting play by post. 
and PowerPoint slides. So the goal is for us to have maps available that you can use out of our scenarios without time and uh, programming knowledge to pull them out yourself. Uh, we have asked for things to be packaged, but I would look to Mark Moreland for some more guidance on timelines and just how he wants to roll it out. He's kind of the keeper of this uh, initiative in the office. Um, so then we go to another thing that's been on Chronicle Sheets for now, Hero Lab Codes. Linda, do you want to take us through the changes on that? Uh, in the upper right-hand corner of Pathfinder 2nd Edition Chronicle Sheets, uh, you may have noticed a little box with a four-character code uh, labeled Hero Lab Code. So this came from uh, some conversations that uh, Evan had with Hero Lab prior to the start of 2nd Edition for ways they might... Uh, they might use those codes. Uh, we don't have anything to announce there yet, but one thing we were thinking about is that a unique four-character identifying code for every scenario we have that could be used uh, to prove that somebody has a Chronicle Sheet, that they've played a scenario and things like that, that's something that has a lot broader of an application. So we're going to be renaming that code from Hero Lab Code to Campaign Code, and uh, we encourage our partners to uh, to think about ways that that might be useful for them. It's not just for Hero Lab, it's for any of our partners who want to put that together. So some of the other initiatives that we've got going in this Simplify user-friendly that we're kind of heading into is looking at some handouts. There's been a lot of great community uh, uh, created condos, uh, how-tos, uh, flowcharts, and we're looking at bringing some of that office and producing it so that it's official and it's part of the package that gets given out to new players uh, and it's repository for living. So that is a little bit further out on what we'd like to do in the works. We also are looking at what we can try and uh, cut out of the guide, more bullet points, less large blocks of line. That helped a little bit, but it didn't solve all of our problems. So we're still kind of poking guide formats and what we do to keep from handing large amounts of paper or a huge web page to a brand new player and saying, here, before you called, read and digest all of this. And again, moving all of this online has really helped because we're seeing where the system are and we can kind of poke at them and build bridges and shore them up and give better things to our... Uh, we also have a new website in the works. This has been another thing I've been working on uh, with our tech. Our, we've got new uh, web layout person in the office, Justin Tassa, and she's pulling all these things together along with Andrew White, and we hope to roll a couple of weeks, but it will finally update all of our systems to their current seasons. It will have the new art. It will have easier to find. There's a whole resource section on every page. It will have an organized play landing page with a really cool organized logo. Uh, so lots of changes, and it'll have the current version that is our homepage, and in that style, instead of being a little bit off where you have this really awesome art intensive landing page and then you go to all the white with the text that we've had for our society pages we are not getting either the pathfinder adventure card society page as it exists now nor the pathfinder society first edition page they will still be linked from the pages but we are turning the pivot uh in pathfinder society to a second pane and the adventure card society is pivoting into the new corset uh crimson throne expansion the four older box sets though they're still available you can get the base set and that society play is still very valid as is the entire first edition catalog is still valid for play so we're not taking anything away we're just adding a few more options into the hopper there um so we've got a few more things that we kind of want to touch on quickly and then we'll have a few minutes for questions let's take us through the pre-gens because we've got a few new coming up all right um 
And I did see a question from the chat pop up that then someone probably decided was not very on topic. But I will say it is not what I am hiding with that sheet. It is that I am being hidden by that sheet because my wife's office is on the other side of it. So, uh, pre-gens, we have got uh, the Advanced Player's Guide coming out in very short order. And James Case is going to make sure that you have level 1 and level 5 pre-gens for those new classes, I believe in time for Gen Con. And if not, I accept no responsibility because I already told you. I'm, I'm kidding. No, no, but, but seriously. <laughs> Uh, we're going to have those coming out. We're also going to fill out the roster of fifth level pregens from the core rulebook, which I know a lot of you have been asking about uh, for a while. Um, we only did, uh, you know, kind of the main six that we thought were going to be absolutely necessary to get it going. And we were like, yeah, it'll be fine. And right after Gen Con 2019, we'll do the others and we'll roll them right out. And kind of didn't happen because other things kept happening. But we're going to get them for you. We're going to flesh out that level five a lot. We're going to bring in uh, the APG pregens for levels one and five. Uh, and we're going to make sure that you have the chance to get in and start uh, playing those and, you know, revisiting old friends in some cases as soon as uh, we possibly can. Um, something that people have been bringing up is what about higher level pregens? Uh, and the answer to that is kind of still a matter of discussion. Um, there is diminishing returns uh, the higher level we go with the pregens, and they take a lot of work to uh, execute. And we're really looking at and talking to our volunteers and looking at the program and our needs as we decide how high a level are these pregens going to go, how high is practical, and at what point does having pregens of too high a level actually become detrimental to uh, to the campaign in some instances. Um, so that's 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 a big conversation that. Uh, based on the meetings where we've talked about it, I don't have time to have with all of you right now. Um, but it is an ongoing conversation. Uh, which leads us to the questions of what are the top levels for the programs that we're looking at right now? Uh, there's been a lot of talk about 12th level being Seeker content in Pathfinder Society 1st Edition. Does that apply to 2nd Edition? Um, so we don't actually have a hard this is the highest level we are going to go with the program for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. The reality is that logistically, through year two and possibly even year three, our ceiling is going to be 710s, level range 710 adventures. We might creep a little bit past that, uh, depending on how things go. Um, but just functionally from a matter of making sure that there is lots and lots of low-level content for new players without GMs burning out, running the same thing over and over, anything like that, we got to do a slow roll on it. I will say that from my personal perspective, uh, if we do something in the vein of Eyes of the Ten or uh, one of those other what used to be you know, a seeker-level adventure... I want those to happen in the 17 to 20 range. I want there to be Pathfinder Society support that does eventually reach the level cap supported by the system. I just don't know exactly when we're going to get there because we got a lot of other things we need to do first. Okay, so then uh, Thirsty, what about for Starfinder Society? Uh, much the same. We do not have a level cap, and I would hope we don't have a level cap because when I started my, like, I don't know, uh, quotes, hashtag um, X year plan for Starfinder Society. I sure do have a 20th level like end in mind that I would love to get out there. So yeah, 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 yeah. 20th level. Heck yeah. So back to Linda for 
actually kind of got got missed in your presentation. You talked about three uh, advances to level for a tier to get to a level tier six character in the adventure cards. They are, are there one, two, and three. Uh, sorry, I talked over Tanya there a little bit. Had a little bit of an audio blip. Um, but yeah, the three adventures for this arc are for one, two, and three. And um, that continuation of a story slash sort of story that builds on that existing story is in uh, 2021, but we're not ready to announce our specific plans for 2020. So one of the things is our 2021 product schedule is still discussion at the highest levels of the company. So we don't get to, at our level, spoiler anything from that list until we get the, we're kind of, that's why we can't really talk into too much more uh, that we don't know uh, has been 100%. So Hence, Linda's being a little hedgy on what the second half of our seed for society, Card Society, gets. Uh, yeah. Uh, but we have some. The, um, card Society, unlike the other programs, doesn't really have quite so much of an established, like, it's always going to be these adventures that release in exactly the schedule. It's been more flexible, which means that we still have that option that are up. In- uh, so we have a question on sanctioning the APG quickly. Do we have, I think... The answer is yes. Um, Mike, why don't you talk just sanctioning in general? Because I know we have some. Yeah. So um, the long and the short of it is that when it comes to sanctioning, we cannot make promises because it does not lie entirely within our wheelhouse. And even in those instances where it does, we have a very demanding schedule. But my goal since pretty much since I joined the department has always been to get as close to release day sanctioning as we can. And on like two occasions, not adjacent to each other, we actually did a pretty good job of that. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, there are just a lot of demands on time and sometimes things that we think or we hope we're going to be able to get out right away uh, haven't been, but we're constantly poking at that system, looking at how we can make it go faster, how we can make it more efficient and how we can kind of reward people who want to buy a book on day one and then use it in our campaign because I want the same thing for them. That's the world that I want us all to be living in. It's not the world we're in yet. Now that I've given you that depressing little bit of news, Age of Ashes is officially sanctioned thanks to some help from Alex Spadell, who did me the uh, the favor of scrubbing all of the books based on some parameters and guidelines I gave him. He kicked those back to me. I was able to go through, do some editing and some feng shuiing of things to get them all nice and pretty. Uh, Tony Barnett on our art team was awesome and made sure that it got completely laid out and moved into queue for upload to the site before this panel. So sanctioning for Age of Ashes is complete, is ready to upload to the site. That may take a few days because obviously with PaizoCon Online going on, we got a lot of things going on, but that's going to be in your hands soon. Barring any significant issues, the system that we used to make sure that Age of Ashes got out the door worked incredibly well. We might try that again with Extinction Curse, and if it keeps going well, we're going to keep doing it, and hopefully that will lead to sanctioning getting in everybody's hands even faster. Because my goal, and, I, and I've said this before, and it's going to take a long time, you know, I would love for you to be able to show up at your game store on release day, grab a book, and then turn around and sit down at a PFS table and start using it. That is what I want more than anything, and that is kind of the end goal of that particular part of our program. So, so we've got a little under 10 minutes, and we've got a couple more things. We've set up a chat in our Paizo Con Online Discord that we can take some of these questions 
questions to. Uh, the team members are in and out of that over the, the rest of the event, and we will try and get your questions answered in that format. There's also an SFS chat uh, channel in there. If you just want to talk anything SFS that Thirsty's keeping an eye on, there's a PFS chat, Adventure Society chat channel. Uh, there's also Ask Me Anythings uh, for Linda, for Thirsty. Uh, I don't think my um, that we might be able to prod him into getting one if you want to ask him all those questions. Uh, but go ahead, come on in, engage us there. We'd love to keep answering these uh, as we rush through our, like, our last few topic points because I know there's one more big topic everyone's going to want to hear a little bit about, and that is conventions, online conventions. You're at PaizoCon online right now. Uh, I mentioned Origins online in three weeks. We have 100 events going on in Origins. We had over 350 GMs submit to run events same time that we have the official 100 events in Origins, we are also going to run the other 250 plus of current. Uh, it's going to get the same rewards for the GMs. It's going to have the same abilities. It's a premier plus convention. It's just we couldn't pick our favorite 100 games to put up in the Origin system and tell everyone else sorry. Uh, we do fans. So fans, you'll see something for Origin slash Concurrent. That will be how we're going to do this. Uh, myself, Alex, the online venture officer team, uh, our premier event coordinator, Bob John Kett. So information coming out and an email going to the GMs of those events that submitted on how we're going to break this up and, and what we need them. But that one's coming out in June. In, into July, we've got uh, Gen Con online. They announced that their physical show is shutting down. So we will be moving that online. They haven't given us a lot of details yet other than it will be online. Uh, so we're waiting for more information on that. And as soon as we have it, we'll let our players and our GMs know uh, what we need from them to get that one moving. But at that event or at a Origin, a Gen Con adjacent event, and we are planning on launching our two multi-table interactives via the online platform. We're testing out some software, all of the scores from all of the different tables. So it will still be multi-table. Um, I think we have the perspective to have the single largest game ever run in an online VTT event uh, to do this. And I might go contact Guinness to see what they want to say about it, but uh, we will be releasing 200000 there respectfully. So Thirsty, how about you give us a little bit of what 300 will bring for Starfinder? Absolutely. So 3-00, The Last Bite by Jenny Jarzabski. Oh, excuse me. I have this lovely little apple here and I just can't help but see how, how delicious it looks. Actually, it's kind of an old apple. It's probably not that good. Um, that being said, yeah, uh, that interactive special is going to uh, be a tier one to eight uh, interactive special, which is going to set the Starfinder Society under outgoing uh, first seeker Luaziel Sebo against a certain nefarious Isoki who may or may not have uh, engendered certain feelings from our player base over the past. And uh, this may be the chance for the PCs to... Uh, deal with that situation in a uh, pretty pretty spectacular manner i would say uh i know a lot of people out there are very cognizant of uh you know be wanting to really punch this opponent in the face other people have different opinions suffice to say we're going to have a we're going to have a really cool interactive special that's going to be really uh, enjoyable for people who've been playing the season it's going to be enjoyable for people who are just kind of getting into starfinder and want to get a get a view of the packed worlds uh we're we're hitting a lot of notes with this and uh 300 is going to be this excellent way for us to uh kind of put the put the cap 
up on uh, year two and really set us forward into year three. So yeah, I'm really excited for that. Jenny did an amazing job writing this adventure. It's such a blast. Um, all I can say is some of the artwork. Um, I never thought I would have to place an art order for something entitled Susie from Accounting. And I did. And let me tell you, you will not expect what that art piece is going to be and uh yeah so really looking forward to that looking forward to uh getting uh getting everyone out in the online sphere to to play that yeah so pathfinder society had two interactives on our calendar this year we had 199 that was supposed to be debuting at PaizoCon, um and we've postponed that one for a couple reasons uh and we have 200 which is kind of the the culmination of this year's storyline and moving into the next so i'm going to ask linda to tell us about 200 as that's the one that we will be running at Gen Con online. And then we're going to pivot back to Mike for just a little bit of an information on 199 and what its status. The the capstone of year one. And we went into year one, we were saying, you know, we've done a lot of punching of undead. We've done a lot of punching of demons. What's something we really haven't punched a lot of? And uh, the answer that we found to that was we haven't really punched a lot of Fae. So Fae, we found, are, are really interesting opponents because not only do they have sort of that classic uh, that classic combat aspect, but they also have a lot of trickery, they have misdirection, they have a lot of potential for some really interesting hazards and challenges, and um, other, just otherworldly nonsense uh, to come to the forefront. So uh, King and Thorns is going to be the final showdown with a villain that uh, first showed their face in the two-part arc the perennial crown and has been subtly influencing some things in the background uh where you learn uh more about the final fate of some of the pathfinder society's founders and um venture into a place so strange that we wound up using starfinders maps to represent just how bizarre it is um so that is gonna be really cool um that is co-written by uh kate baker and dennis muldoon and it's going to be presented actually as three different uh, three different simultaneous adventures, uh, one for levels one to two, one for levels three to six, and one for seven to eight, to allow us some more flexibility in making sure that those adventure segments are really appropriately tailored to uh, characters of each level and to make sure that our challenge points can run. And does this mean that people can get credit for all three sections if they play them at different events? I guess they can, because the three of them are separate products with separate chronicles. I will say this is something that uh, Thurston uh, pioneered last year with the Starfinder Society special and that you could replay it at each level. And so we took it one step further to make the reporting cleaner and to make the challenge points level in and for GM prep, split them out completely. But yes, uh, so was it... Uh, 200 was replayable, Thirsty? Yes. Yes, it was. So if you're still looking for an online special out there, 200, if you haven't played all of the different levels of it, you can go back and play. Well, 199 and the problem's there. We actually have this penciled in for PAX Unplugged, pending its real showness the weekend before Thanksgiving. So November, it has not been canceled yet. We're still on a, a wait and see on that. But Mike, why back and penciled it in for a different event? So 199, uh, from the moment of its... Uh its conception um, was something that was very, very much uh, geared for a meat space environment. Um, there were components to it that were 
more interactive than what we have typically done in adventures. Uh, if you maybe have been at a PaizoCon in the past for a grand convocation or something like that, you might have an idea of what I'm getting at when I say highly interactive. Um, but it's really important for us that this is going to be a touchstone experience that's going to be something that we're making available to all of the members of Pathfinder Society eventually uh, targeted at cons right now, of course, right? Because what 199 is, is essentially your induction into the Pathfinder Society, not your graduation from the schools, but you're going in and actually experiencing what it is like to uh, have Marcos Farabellis at the uh, the swords show you how to do the Farabellis flip and get you used to what it means to be uh, a Pathfinder physically. It's going to be where uh, you go in and Serena Wester uh, teaches you what it means to be a magic user in the context of also being a pathfinder and you're going to get to meet these really formative core members of the society who you normally only interact with when something is going wrong only now you're going to be interacting with them in the environment that really represents what they do for the society on a day-to-day -day basis and we want to make sure that when we very first introduce that to the fan base that you all experience that in the way that we concepted and designed and had it written and built for which requires other people to be around you which means it won't happen until we have a convention that will allow other people to be around you and so that of course is based on this health and safety of all of our fans which is always the first thing that we're going to prioritize over anything else so 199 will rest until such time as it is safe and we have the proper venue to reveal it to all of you so the awesome news is that it is an evergreen style topic so it's something that doesn't need a year or a season time to tie into uh so that's you know we kind of talked about it as a team and like mike said we really are worried about our fans first and foremost and want them to be healthy and so we will do what we do that so we are out of time. We have hit our, our uh, 90 minute mark and it's time to pivot over. Let the next uh, streamers come in here. So I wanna say thank you very much for joining us. Uh, come on over to the Discord, ask all of your questions there. We will do our best to answer them. Uh, as always, the forums exist. Uh, when PaizoCon online Discord is closed, you can find us there. And when we can gather safely again, we will be back out in your communities and at conventions worldwide. So thank you very much and have a wonderful rest of your PaizoCon. Bye everyone. The New Direction Network's PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage was made possible thanks to the KD Con team, consisting of Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, Ryan Costello, Alexander Agunas, Vanessa Hoskins, Randall Meyer, Dustin Knight, and John Godek. Special thanks to Paizo's social media producer Peyton Smith and the entire Paizo staff. For more great Pathfinder, Starfinder, and other RPGs news, reviews, podcasts, and blogs, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com.